their own ways. Well, it's good to be back in the Lord's house tonight. Glad, glad to be able to say that he's my Lord and that he's a, he's a wonderful, wonderful Savior, wonderful Father. We were looking at Luke chapter 15 this morning, and as you just a little bit of background, if you want to be turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, there's uh, three stories in that in that book, in that chapter, and they're all geared for the purpose uh, and pointed to verse one, two, and three <coughs> of the chapters. Excuse me. <coughs> I may have a shout hung here somewhere. I get it out maybe in a little bit. I might have already shouted. <laughs> Should have. <laughs> and uh, because the Pharisees and the scribes had uh, had condemned Jesus because he was he was dealing with publicans and sinners, and so Jesus begins to tell this three stories, one parable, and. Uh, He's pointing that parable at these Pharisees and scribes. You won't see that really as plain until we get to the third story, and that's what we'll deal with tonight. This morning we talked about the, uh, the man, Jesus said, who had, uh, 90, had 100 sheep and one went astray. And he said, well, will you not leave the 90 and 9 in the wilderness and go out and search for that one? And when he finds it, he could have said a lot of things. He could have said, and he put a rope around its neck and led it back to the fold. Uh, but what Jesus actually said was, is when he found it, he picked it up and put it on his shoulders and carried it back to his house. And uh, I think that is portraying, even that has a significant meaning that Jesus just used those words that he picked him up and brought him back. And then the second story in this chapter, he talks about the woman who had 10 pieces of silver and she, she lost one piece. And he points that out, that it was lost and it was lost in the house. And we talked this morning about that being, uh, since he did refer to her as a woman, uh, that it uh, typified the church. And maybe he was talking to us as a church and saying that we must be careful that we don't lose somebody right in the house. He cautions us to be careful with one another and one another's feelings and, and being observative to each other and what we're going through. We ought to know one another as a family. We ought to be able to know if someone if their countenance changes, you can tell, can't you? If you really know somebody, I, uh, I used to could read my children, and uh, it was a little scary to them, but I could just look at them and tell if they'd done something they shouldn't do. And they'd say, you can't hide it from Daddy. You may as well come on in and confess and get it over with. And uh, it'll work out better because if you try to hide it, why, uh, it was obvious I could see there's something wrong. And we can see that in one another, in our brothers and sisters in the church. And we ought to be uh, aware of one another. And I think he teaches us that in that second story here in Luke chapter 15 and about this woman. In every case, when they had found the lost sheep and then when she had found the lost piece of silver, 
Uh, they both said, come and rejoice with me to their neighbors and friends because I have found that thing that I'd lost and now I've found it. And come and rejoice with me. And remember, if you're not careful, you'll forget because there's a message in each one of these. You'll forget that Jesus is back in verse 1, 2, and 3 pointing this at the Pharisees and the scribes. And he's talking to them. There was other people there, but he was speaking directly to them. I believe he had contact, Seth, with them. He was looking them in the eye like he did when he stooped down and wrote on the ground. You remember that? And they brought the woman that they caught in the very act of adultery, and, and he wrote on the ground, and then he raised up, and he said, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. And as he looked around and made contact with them, they all became condemned. And he just sat down and wrote on the ground. When he looked around, everybody was gone except the woman. And he said, where is thine accusers? And she said, I have none, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn thee. Well, aren't you glad we serve a God like that? He's not waiting for you to fail so he can do something bad to you, to discipline you. He's not happy when he has to discipline and chasten us. He doesn't want to. I dare say that he could say as I used to when I disciplined my children, and I used to tell them, and I think I told them because my dad told me, this is going to hurt me worse than it did you. I never did believe it when he told me that. I was like the fellow said, well, why don't we just forget it and do us both a favor? You know, if it's really the truth. Uh, but I came along and I said the same thing to my children. I don't think they believed it either until they had children. Then they realized. And so uh, we, I believe that when God has to chasten us, it makes him unhappy. It's not a joyful thing for him to discipline us. But because he loves us, he disciplines us. And if we love our children, we'll discipline them. The Bible says that you, you hate your children if you don't discipline them. If you don't chastise them when they need it, well, then you hate them. That's plain language, but that's what the Bible says. So in this second story, uh, Jesus said she lost the peace, and when she found it, she rejoiced. And then in the last one we will talk, look at tonight, there was a man had two sons, he said, and he had a of course, if you've got two sons, they're not twins. One of them is going to be older than the other one. The youngest son came to his dad and said, uh, Father, I want the portion of goods that's going to fall to me. What he was saying, think about this. He was saying, I want you to make out like you're dead and go ahead and give me my inheritance. And I'm sure the father, doesn't, Jesus doesn't say that, but I, just thinking at it from, from a, a dad's perspective, I'm sure I would be thinking, you wish I was dead. You wish that I wasn't here. And you could go ahead and get the portion of the inheritance, the half of all that I have. Uh, but he, uh, he didn't say that. But, you know, the Bible says that he, without question, without any conversation that I'm aware of, that the Father just divided unto them his living. He divided everything he had, gave half of it to the younger. And the Bible says not many days after that, Jesus said, the young man 
packed everything up and left. Took his journey into a far country. And uh, when he got there, uh, I'll bet you he had plenty of friends, don't you? As long as he had all that uh, possessions, and I'm sure there was a lot of, of uh, money that he had, and, and boy, he had friends. But the Bible says it wasn't very long until there was a famine came in that land. You and I read that. You Bible readers will uh, appreciate this, I guess. But you remember when Naomi and her husband and their sons left Bethlehem and went into a far country, went down into to Moab. And uh, any time you're going away from the house of God, you're going down. And when they went from the, from the house of plenty, that's what Bethlehem meant, and they, uh, they went from plenty, went down to a far country. And when they got down there, there was a famine came. And when the famine came, uh, you know what happened. They had no friends there. Back in Bethlehem, they had family. They had people that cared about them, that would see about them, that would have shared with them. But they were in a place to where uh, they were enemies of a sorts. Uh, because they weren't family with anybody that was there. And then, of all things, uh, their, her sons died and her husband died and left her and two daughter-in-laws there without anything. And when they, she decided, like the prodigal son, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. And when she told her daughter-in-laws that she was going, why, she said, now, I don't have any more sons, so you all need to just stay here in your country and you know the story of Ruth. She said, I'm going with you. Your God will be my God and all these things. And when Naomi got back to Bethlehem, why they, they said, why, this is Naomi. And she said, no longer call me Naomi. Because I went out full, but I'm coming back empty. That's what happened to this prodigal son. That's what happened to the youngest boy. He went out full, and when the famine came, just like it did with Naomi and her family, why then no one gave to them. This young boy down in the far country, the Bible says the far country, F-A-R, far country. He was in a place to where uh, he wasn't known, and people didn't care about him. Did you, you do know that as a saint of God, you've got an enemy. The Bible says your adversary is going like a lion to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. So he said, you be sober and be vigilant. And you know what he's saying is don't leave the Father's house. Don't leave. Why would you want to go to an area where your, your life and your soul was is going to be in jeopardy when you could stay at the Father's house where people love you and will care for you. I've had people in my life, Brother Gary, to say to me, uh, when I pastored Double Springs, there was a boy uh, there that uh, told me one day I was out visiting and inviting people to church, and, and he was uh, 
messing with his car. He was a young boy, probably about 16 or 17 year old, and, and he just got him a car, and he was, he was doing something to it. I don't remember what. I know he had the glove compartment open, and I stopped by, and I was just a young man, been, just started preaching, and, and I said, uh, I'd like to invite you to church down. It was, just, it was inside of the church. And he said, well, preacher, I, I'm not coming right now. I may as well just go ahead and just tell you. I have a plan. Uh, I'm not coming right now. I figure that I've got about seven years to run wild and do what I want to do. And then I'll, I'll get in church. I'll, I'll start going to church. And I said, I want to ask you something. Have you got a contract in that glove box or have, have you got something wrote down somewhere that's signed by God telling you that you got seven years to live? Because I'm not aware of anybody having a contract like that with God. You don't know if you've got seven years or not. I never convinced the young man that he never came to church. I don't know what happened to him. Uh, I've, I've never seen him or heard from him since then. I, but uh, there's a lot of people in this world today who have made plans like that and said, one day I'm going to get right with God. They're like this young man who took his journey into a far country and he left full and he thought everything's great and, and everything's lovely, things are going well, I'm healthy, I have money, I have a good job and all of these things and I'm going to go, I'm going to enjoy the things of this world now and later on. I'll come back to the God and, and then I'll serve Him. I don't know of one person that that worked out right for them. Do you? If you do after church, I want you to tell me about somebody who made that kind of declaration and it worked out good for them. Because I don't know of anybody that it did. Either something happened along the way who, that caused them uh, to have problems. And, and when they came back, they came just like this prodigal son, this younger son. They came back empty. They came back just like Naomi. They came back empty. They went out full and came back empty. And so uh, Jesus says, this young man, it's interesting to me some of the things that Jesus said about this young man. It said that he went down there and he wasted his substance with riotous living. He wasted it. And, uh, but, and after he had lost everything, and uh, he began to be in W-A-N-T, want. He began to be in want. And he was, he was in a desperate situation. Well, I bet you if I blowed my nose with this thing sitting right there in that handkerchief, lay <laughs> out. So he was desperate, and, and uh, the Bible says that no man, nobody helped him. You know why? He was in a foreign country. He was in the devil's territory. Amen? He had left the people who loved him and cared for him, and he was in a position of, of jeopardy, if you would. He was in a dangerous position. He could have been killed down there. It could have been. Jesus didn't tell the story that way, and I don't even know it's a true story. It's a parable, Jesus said. So perhaps he made this story up, but it has many implications, I think, to me. And so he says that he began to be in want, and, and then 
because things got desperate for him, the Bible says that they sent him out to feed hogs. Now that would be lower than the lowest job for a Jew to, be, to feed hogs because they don't even think they ought to touch a hog. And uh, I don't think they're wrong that much, to be honest with you. I had somebody talking about hogs back yonder a while ago. Y'all mind if I run a rabbit a little bit and I run it in a hole real quick. I had a couple of hogs one time, and uh, I finally just tore that barn down because they about destroyed it. They just pushed the poles out of it and everything. And, and so the Jews ain't got it far wrong about the hogs. Now, if, uh, once they're salt cured, I'm all about them. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> think you ought to indulge about once a day, usually early in the morning. So this boy was sent to the hog pen to feed swine. And he was so hungry, the Bible says, that he would have fain have eaten the husk that the hogs left. And no man gave unto him. And then Jesus said this now. He said, and he came to himself. If you've got a lost friend or a lost loved one, the prayer that we're praying for them is that they'll come to themselves. Amen? Because if they don't, they'll never get out of the hog pen. They've got to come to themselves. And I'm not, I want, to note, want you to notice something about this. And I think we ought to visit, we ought to talk, and we ought to win souls, and we ought to uh, compel people to come in because that's what Jesus said we ought to do so that people would come in. But until God touches their heart and they come to themselves, they'll never make their way to the Father's house. They'll never come back. They won't turn around. And many people don't turn around. I thought about preaching a message that uh, blesses my heart sometimes that I, it's called uh, Someone Touched Heaven for Me. I believe that's important that we pray for those who are in the far countries. That we ought to pray for them because I think those prayers has a lot to do with them coming to themselves. And we'll get to that in a minute because Jesus doesn't come out and say that in this story. But I believe the implication is there that the father was concerned about the son that had gone away. Uh, because it says down when, when the son was a long ways off, the father saw him. And he ran to him. And so Jesus is saying, you know what he's doing? He's still talking. Remember verse 1, verse 2, and verse 3. He's still talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. And he's saying to them, the Father of mankind, God, Jehovah, loves people that are in the hog pen. Those who have gone away from the Father's house, God loves them. Every time, listen, when we look at someone, no matter who they are, we ought to see them as a person that God loves, that Jesus hung on a cross so they could be saved. And if we look at them like that, it'll change our attitude toward them. I have some tapes that I show couples that I marry. Matter of fact, I won't marry nobody unless they watch those tapes. I don't want to get involved in a lost cause. And the statistics are staggering today. How many, how many marriages wind up in divorce? And as a matter of fact, uh, the only thing I, that I can remember that I ever did in my life that I had no training for whatsoever was got married. 
That's true. But I learned fast, didn't I, honey? She's shaking her head, yes. <laughs> but I had, no, I had no training. My dad didn't talk to me. He didn't give me any advice. Uh, we got married, and, and uh, we'd been married about uh, uh, probably uh, 20 years, 15 or 20 years, and I was trying to help a couple, and I ran up on these tapes by Gary Smalley. I, some of you may have heard of them. The title of the tapes are Hidden Keys to Loving Relationships. And I watched those tapes, and listen, men, I'm not ashamed a bit to tell you this. I was watching them so I could help someone else. And Anita was in the kitchen cooking. Our daughters were young. We had just moved back from Florida at the time. It was in 1980, and our daughters were young. And I was watching them on TV, on the television, VCR tapes. And, and uh, when the first session was over with, she was listening in the kitchen. And uh, at the end of the first session, I just let it run. Oh, I was interested. I was learning some things. And I just let it run. And she came in from the kitchen and just sat down. She turned everything off on the stove, came in and sat down. And she watched the second session with me. And at the end of that session, I looked around at her and I said, do you really feel that way? He was telling me stuff that I did not know. I didn't know. Nobody ever told me. And uh, she turned around to look at me in big tears running down her cheeks. And she just shook her head, yeah. And I got on my knees there in the front of her, and I, I asked her to forgive me for the way I treated her. The things I had done that I did not know. I loved her better than I loved myself. But I'm telling you, just loving somebody, you need some knowledge to go, go along with your love. You need to learn some things. And they, some things don't just come you don't just, are not instincts. And, and so that changed my life. And I told her, I said, I'll never marry another couple. Don't watch those tapes. And, uh, and, and I haven't. <clears throat> Got a wedding in November. The lady, the young lady, texted me today and was telling me uh, about some of the arrangements and all that stuff. And I said, well, We got a while, but we got to watch some, about six hours of tapes. And she said, I know, I can't hardly wait. And smiley faces, and she, you know she's making a joke about it because she don't know either, and her future husband he don't know either, and uh, some things that we need to know. And so, uh, well, I run that rabbit in a hole. Don't remember where I was at. <laughs> so uh, this this uh, young man had gone into the far country. He found out there that he was among enemies. Nobody loved him. Nobody would help him. And he came home. And as he was coming home, he was coming down the road. And I can, in my imagination, I can just see him coming. My brother has a unique walk. I could tell if I was, if I could see him way down the sidewalk, I'd know it was him. Not that he uh, has a peculiar walk. He's just, he has his own way of walking. And I know him that well. And the Bible says, Jesus said, when the father saw him a great way off, he ran to him, and he fell on his neck, and he kissed him. <clears throat> and the young man already had his speech ready to go. He said, when I get home, 
I'm going to say to my Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight or against you and in heaven's sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called thy son. Just make me as one of the hired servants. And it appears to me that he wasn't listening to him. Because immediately he says, bring a robe and put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his finger. Bring shoes and, and put them on his feet. And while the boy is trying to repent, it reminds me of what I've said for years, and I believe with all of my heart, when a sinner steps out from wherever he's standing in an invitation, I believe God saves him on the way. Amen. I believe he gets saved. That's just my opinion. You say, well, preacher, this is my, my sermon. You let me preach it like I want to. And so uh, I believe that God, when the heart gets right, in the right situation, God saves the individual. You say, but you've got to say certain words. What if you couldn't talk? Would you be doomed if you couldn't talk? What if you couldn't come to an altar? As, you know, we have a lot of tradition that heaps up on us, that hinders us from letting God do His work. So this young boy, I believe when God, uh, when I came to an altar many, many years ago at Mount Pisgah Free Will Baptist Church, I believe when I stepped out and headed down the aisle, I believe God saved me. My heart was broken. I knelt in the altar, and I remember just saying two words. Oh, God, reminded me of uh, the Sunday school lesson this morning and what Tanner taught us and what there in Habakkuk, the thing he said, his, his opening prayer was, Oh, God, Oh, Lord. And I just continued to say, you know why? I was in trouble. I was in the far country. I was destitute. I was going to hell. And I realized it, and I did not want to go. Uh, did you love Jesus, Bernard? I wasn't concerned about love. I was in trouble. Amen. I came to an altar and repented because I did not want to go to hell. And the preacher had just got through preaching that that's where people went who didn't get saved. And I came to an altar. Now I love him tonight. I'm here tonight because I love him. And I do what I do because I love him and because of how good he's been to me, but not then. And I was in the far country, but I, he heard my prayer, and he lifted me up and saved me that night. This young man, when he came, the father said, bring a ring and put it on his finger. All, everything that he did for this young man symbolized something, the put a robe on him, and it covered up the stink of the hog pen where he had been. Aren't you glad for the robe of righteousness that you're wearing tonight? And let me remind you that it's not your robe. It belongs to him. Our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. But it belongs to the Father, the robe does. He didn't say, bring one of, get, look in his closet and bring one of his robes. He carried his robes with him. He's no longer wearing his robe, Brother Gary. He's wearing God's robe. <clears throat> and so they put the robe on him, put a ring on his finger, and uh, put shoes on his feet so that when they looked at him, they knew he wasn't a slave, but he was a part of the family. The father brought him right back into the family. Let me remind you again. You haven't forgotten, have you? Verse 1, 2, and 3. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. And, and 
when uh, uh, they told him about this story, well, then he said, and, and everything was great. He said, go kill the fatted calf. We're going to rejoice because this was my son that was dead and is alive again. And they were making merry. But that's not the end of the story. The title to the message is The Elder Brother. And the story is all about the elder brother, actually. Jesus told all of this, pointing and bringing it right down to the elder brother. And he was liking the elder brother to those Pharisees and scribes in verse 1, 2, and 3. And he's saying, and let me just throw this in. I've thought about it three or four times, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it now. Jesus said in one place, except your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So don't, I hope you don't think, well, boy, I would like to be like the, I'd like to live like they lived. I'd like to pray like they prayed. I'd like to have attitude like they had. I don't want to be like the scribes and Pharisees. Because Jesus said, your righteousness has got to exceed that. It's not just enough to look like you're religious. You got to be religious. You got to be a part of the family. And this elder son was out in the field, the Bible says. You remember what Jesus said the field represented back in the parable of the tares? The field represents the world. The elder brother, though he didn't go to the far country, he was in the world. And not only that, I mean, it's, give you this. He didn't even know what was going on in his own house. When, how humiliating would it be to come home and have to ask one of the servants, what's all this going on in the house? He didn't even know what was going on. His relationship with the father was, was not a close one by any stretch of the imagination. And Jesus is saying this to the scribes and Pharisees. He's saying that you claim to be something, but you're not, you're not close to God at all. Your attitude is not right about those that are lost and those that are sinners because God loves the lost. God loves sinners. Boy, the songs that were sung tonight was just right on, come as you are. When we sung this morning, just as I am, same thing. Jesus loves you just like you are. You say, well, that's good news. Let me go a little further than that. He loves everybody that way. Amen. When you drive down the street, who you see somebody over here, and I've heard people say, I can tell you what ought to happen to them. They ought to have a, a block tied around their neck and towed off the bridge or something. Well, that ain't the way God feels about them. Amen. If you're like me, there was a time when somebody might have said that about you. I'm glad that I'm glad that uh, God didn't feel about me the way other people did. I remember one time I was preaching, uh, when I was pastoring at Mount Pisgah, why there was a lady came who was attended the church there when I was a little boy. And that's where I got saved at Mount Pisgah. And, and then God let me pastor there for 19 years later on. And uh, I was preaching one Sunday morning, and this lady came in who had moved to Arkansas, but she attended church there back when I was just a kid, a little boy. And uh, at the end of the service, while she was coming out, and I was standing at the back door shaking hands, and, and she uh, uh, took a hold of my hand, and, and she held on to me. That's always scary, isn't it, Seth? If you want to make your preacher nervous, 
when he shakes hands, will you just hold on to him a little bit and look him right in the eyeball. And the longer you look, the more he'll sweat because he don't know what you're going to say. And, uh, and it could be anything. And she said, but this is what she said to me. She said, who would have thought that God had his hand on you when you was a little burr-headed boy running around up here? And she remembered when I was a kid. That's all I'm going to say about that. But if I had my little grandson with me, I could show you about what I was like back then. And uh, so she thought, you know, she looked at me in a different light than God did. When God saw me, he saw potential. Amen. Hallelujah. <clears throat> this elder brother came to the house and he was upset. He said, Father, I've been here all these years. I have served you. Now, that's what he said. I'm not sure that was accurate. But Jesus said that that's what he said. How many of you knows that what everybody says is not always accurate? Sometimes they don't tell the story exactly like it is. I'm assuming that this elder son was not, didn't serve his dad as, as uh, fervently as he lets on uh, when he's talking to his father. Because he says, I've served you all these years, and you never even gave me a, as much of a kid that I might be able to make merry with my friends. He didn't want to have a meal with the father. He didn't want to go camping. He didn't want to go fishing with his dad. Uh, he wanted uh, uh, his dad to give him something so he could go and make merry and have a party with his friends. He's still talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. These are the people that would walk down the street and would pray on the corners. They had bells on the bottom of their garments so that people would see them, and they wanted to be seen of people. Jesus said one time that they were like whited sepulchers. They looked good on the outside, but on the inside they was full of dead men's bones. The indictment against the elder brother was an indictment against the Pharisees and the scribes. Jesus was saying, uh, this is the way you are. You're like this elder brother. And that's the way the story was told. Then it goes on in chapter 16. He changes the subject a little bit and goes on preaching, Jesus does, after he had given them this message. But God laid this message on my heart to give to you. I've been preaching now for, uh, uh, for 40 years. In, in September, it will be 41 years since I've been preaching the gospel. And I've never preached this message before. I thought after I'd been preaching 20 years, I could go back to the archives and I'd never have to work on a sermon anymore. I like to have been late tonight because I was studying and God was giving me fresh things out of the Word. Brother Gary would say, something hot off the griddle. And uh, that means it's something from God, something that God has for you and for me. Maybe it was just for me while I was studying, but he wanted me to share it with you. Our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You might be raised in church. I was. After I was 10 year old, I, you know, I knew how to pray. I knew how to walk the walk, talk the talk. I knew the lingo. I knew, I knew how to, and, and honestly, when God dealt with me to preach, I, I, uh, 
I answered a call to preach. I didn't want to uh, because I didn't think I could. It wasn't that I didn't want to preach. I just didn't think I could. And now, 40 years later, I know I can't. I'm no better off tonight, Seth, than I was 40 years ago. If God doesn't come, then I'll just have to stand here and look at y'all for a while. And uh, he's never done that to me so far in these 40 years. If he does, it'll be my last time probably. But it's, uh, it's about what he's got to say to us. Now, this is what he said to the Pharisees and to the scribes. Let me tell you in closing tonight a story of how I think, well, let me give you the story that Roy Thomas told one time, and I've never forgotten it. Now, I don't tell very many stories because I can't remember how they go, but I remember this one. The Lord reminded me of it today. Roy said there was a salesman that was traveling uh, around, and uh, he stopped in this town to get a room and rest for the night, and, and he was a Christian man. He found a motel, rented a room, and then he decided he'd go and get him some dinner, uh, in, e in the evening and so he found a little restaurant close there where he could walk to he walked over to this restaurant went in and was seated at a table the waitress came over and he after looking at the menu he said I would like a bowl of this soup is it good she said it's wonderful he said I'd like a bowl of that soup and give me a hamburger too and she said okay got him got his drink and and so uh, she brought the soup and and set it down on the table, and, and he looked at it. He was getting ready to start eating, and he looked over at the window there on the front, and there was a little boy standing at the window with his head pressed up against the window watching him. And he thought, that little fellow must be hungry. So he, he motioned for him, and the little boy done this, and he said, yes, come on in here. And he came in, walked over to the table where the salesman was, and he said, he said, have you eaten today, son? And he said, no, sir. No, sir, I haven't eaten today. And he said, would you like to have a bowl of this soup? He said, yes, sir. I would love that. And so he said, well, you sit down right there. And the waitress come over and seen the little boy. He said, listen, bring us another bowl of soup and another hamburger. And... Uh, he, he said, let's thank God for our food, son. And they bowed their heads, and he asked God to bless the food and asked the Lord to bless this little boy. And he said, now dig in, son. He said, that's good soup. Just get you a spoonful of it. Blow on it a little bit because it's hot. And then you just, you just dig in there. And I got a hamburger coming in a little bit, too. And, and the little boy put his spoon in there, and he pulled it out. He blowed, and then he put it back in the bowl, and he looked toward the window. And he said, son, get in there and eat that while it's hot. It's good. That's good soup. And, and he picked the spoon up, and, and he blowed it. And j just before he put it in his mouth, he put it back in the bowl and looked back toward the window. He said, what's wrong, son? He said, I know you've got to be hungry if you've not eaten all day, and why, why don't you eat? He said, sir. He said, my little brother's outside, and he ain't eat since I have. Would it be all right if I had him to come in, and he could have part of my soup? 
and half of my hamburger. He said, no, that's not all right at all. You go get him. They got plenty of soup here and plenty of hamburgers. We'll get him a bowl of soup too. And so uh, he went in and brought his little brother in, and, and, you know, he sat down there, and they ate. The man, the salesman, asked God to bless them boys, and, and they ate. And, and uh, you know, I was thinking about this elder brother. Just knowing God like I do, I suspect that this father, every evening when they sat down for the evening meal, that he had set an extra place, Brother Gary, just hoping that that boy is going to come home. He had no idea that he was destitute. He didn't know he was working in a hog pen. Or at least Jesus didn't say anything about that. But he, I believe that he uh, was hoping that he'd come home. And we, we, it's easy to see that because he was looking for him. The Bible says that he saw him a great way off. When he saw him coming. And he ran to him. That shows us something. That tells us something about the Lord Jesus Christ and about God. And uh, you know I think what would have been wonderful. Of course Jesus still was pointing at verse 1 and verse 2 and verse 3. But what would have been, what would have been wonderful. What would have pleased God I believe. And to please that father. If that elder son would have one evening when they come in and sat down to eat. If he had said dad. Do you think you might be able to do without me here for a day or two? I'd just like to go and see if I can find my brother. He may be in trouble. And I'd just like to go and see if I can find him. And maybe bring him back home. That would make it a sweet story, wouldn't it? But the reality is, that's not the way the story goes. This elder son, instead of caring about his brother, he got mad when he come home. How sad is that? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be the elder son. I don't want to be the one that begrudges when someone comes back to the Lord and comes to and God deals with them, and they came, come back. And then we begrudge them and say, well, you know what they've done? You know what I heard they did and all these things that they did? You know what that makes me think, Brother Gary? It makes me think that they're jealous. They wish they could do those things and get away with it. And that means that, that a body that who feels like that, their heart's not right with God. They're not right with the Father. And Jesus was pointing at the Pharisees and saying that. You know, uh, it doesn't matter how big your family is. Love has no size limits. Amen. It doesn't matter how big your church is. It doesn't matter if you've got uh, every pew is full or if you've just got a handful. It has nothing to do with size. It's all about what's right in here. What your attitude is about those that are lost. Well, let me just give you this thought. And uh, that the Lord laid on my heart many years ago. I was thinking about why my church wasn't growing. And I wanted it to grow faster. Every pastor does, I think. And maybe sometimes you're not really realizing what you're asking for. But God knows best. But anyway, I was praying and, and I was saying, Lord, why 
Why doesn't the church grow anymore than it does? You know, you know what he said to me? I'm only going to put my babies where I know they'll be took care of. Do I need to repeat that? When God saves somebody, they're a babe in Christ. They need a church that'll love them, that'll pray for them, that'll encourage them. When they're not there, they'll see about them, that'll feel about them the way I said the elder brother didn't feel and would be willing to go and find out what the problem is, or why that they're not there. And uh, the Lord laid that on my heart. I am only going to put my children where I know that they'll be taken care of. Did you know, the, the, I believe the Bible implies that the church is the mother. I said that this morning, the woman. He said the church is the bride of Christ. It's the mother of the saints. God is the father. Uh, Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. But the church is the mother. The church is the bride. The church is God's fingers and hands on this world, on this earth, taking care of His children and His people. It's important that we realize that everybody we come in contact with, that our enemy is speaking to them and trying to destroy them. It's telling them that you're no good. Nobody cares about you. Sometimes we get all wrapped up in what we're doing and forget about others that are uh, maybe don't have talent. Maybe they can't do things that others do. But you know what? doesn't matter what size your bank account is. It doesn't matter if you can carry a tune in the bucket or you can't. It doesn't matter uh, whether you're able to dress uh, uh, like uh, the styles. It doesn't matter to God. He doesn't care about that. As a matter of fact, I believe he's got a soft spot for those little fellows who got their head pressed up against the windows. He's looking for somebody to be his voice, his hands, his legs. You see, because they, he let them nail his to a cross so you and I could be saved. We're the only legs he has. We're the only voice that he has now, literally. And he speaks through us, and he wants to be kind. He tells us in Corinthians chapter 13, he tells us what he wants from us. He says love is kind. It's not puffed up. And all these things, you know what he's, he's saying? That's the way you ought to be. This is the characteristics of the saints, and this is the way we ought to be. You say, preacher, you're setting the bar off a high for us. I promise you, I've already thought about it. Because it's set for me too. But I believe with all of my heart that's what God wants from us. We have programs. We have wonderful programs. We have, um, you know, you can read books, and I've done it as a pastor. You know, uh, everybody's got a visitation program and a soul-winning course and all these different things. And, but I, I really believe with all of my heart, when the church gets right, God will add to it. He will send them. He's got some babies that he wants here at Cookville Free Will Baptist Church. And, but he wants to be sure that they'll be took care of. He wants to be sure that they'll be loved, that they'll be ministered to. I know Brother Seth. I know his heart. 
And I know that he, his desire is to do the work of the Lord. So how is it with you tonight? What would, how do you qualify? Where would you find yourself at in this parable? Three stories, one parable, aimed at the Pharisees and the scribes. You know, Jesus came and they didn't even recognize him. They didn't know who he was. They're the ones that crucified him. Wouldn't it be a shame if Jesus came, if he sent somebody to us and then we didn't receive them? Or maybe we looked at them and, and thought, boy, this is not what we're looking for. I've heard this said at the church that I pastor. They're just not like us. They're not our kind of people. I promise you, they're God's kind of people. If they're lost, they need to be saved. And, uh, and then we work with them, and we are long-suffering with them. Well, I want to ask you to stand, if you would. Bow your heads for a moment while they come and prepare a song of invitation tonight. Heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would. It was said this morning in Sunday school, and then I repeated it during the message, that what we need in our hearts has to come from God. You can want to be, you can want to care about lost souls, but you can't make yourself want it. You can't make yourself care. That caring has to come from God. If you have a burden for lost people, it has to come from God. Uh, you can't just decide one morning that you're going to care about people. And uh, uh, when I started the story earlier about Smalley and about the marriage tapes, what he said in those tapes was that anything that you do repeatedly, if you continue to do it, your feelings will, will uh, follow what you're doing. If you'll love people, if you... If you'll show concern for them, well, then you can change your attitude about people just by loving them and caring for them. Thinking about them like saying, you know, uh, instead of saying, well, I can't believe they're like that, you could say this, reckon what happened in their lives that caused them to be the way they are. A fella got mad at me one time, and, and uh, I, I tried to, I didn't know why. And it troubled me because we were real close, and, and he wouldn't speak to me. He said things about me to other people and, and told them that I wasn't what I seemed and all sorts of things. And, I, and it, hurt, it hurt me, and then I, I was trying to, I was trying to, uh, to get it in my mind how I could continue to love him and him saying things like that about me. And one night when I was praying, I said, God, you got to help me with this. This is becoming a problem for me because he's at church every time I go to church. And, and, uh, and he, he just, you know, the things that he's doing, the things he's saying. And you know what the Lord said in my heart, Brother Gary? He said, you know, you must have hurt him really bad for him to feel like he does about you because of the way you love him. That broke my heart. I said, oh, God. 
Let me make it right. Somehow or other, let me make whatever it is, let me make it right. And I, I endeavored of the rest of his life, and he died. But before he died, while he was talking to me again, I still don't know what I did. But I believe God showed me that his actions was directly because of something I had done. And I don't know what it was. And if God will help us with our attitude if we asked him to. But I wonder, the heads bowed just for a moment. I'm going to give you a chance to pray in a minute. Uh, but I just want to, I, I want to know, maybe there's somebody here tonight that's not saved. If you're, if you're not and you'd like to be remembered in prayer, we're going to have prayer right before we sing. And I wonder if there's one who doesn't know the Lord Jesus and you feel like this prodigal son that is far away from God and you desire the prayers of God's people, I wonder if you just slip up your hand. Is there one anywhere? Just slip it up where I can see it and right back down. Is there somebody here tonight who would be bold enough to say, Brother Bernard, uh, I have problems loving and, and looking over other people's actions in the world and, and in general. And I need prayer that God will help me. I want to be like, have the attitude of the Father. I don't want to be the, like the elder brother. I don't want to be critical of everybody. But I need help. And I desire your prayers. Or anyone that be bold enough to slip up your hand and say, Preacher, that's me. God bless you. Is there anyone else? Just God bless you, brother. Is there any other? Slip it up where I can see it. God's going to do something for you tonight if you'll just be honest with Him. The, we learned this morning that in the cleanup for this, from this tornado, before people could build back, they got to get away, get rid of the rubbish and clean up. Before God's going to send revival to you, before He revives your heart, You'll have to be honest with Him. If you have a problem with your attitude, is there another would just say, yeah, yeah, I really need, need prayers in that area. Is there another anywhere? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful tonight for this opportunity to spend this time right here with you. Lord, there's nobody here but us. It's just us. There's no use in having pretense making like we're something that we're not. Lord, I pray you'd help us just to be honest with you and honest with one another tonight. Lord, I, I pray that you'd help me. And I pray you'd help those who lifted their hands tonight. God, we're a needy people. Father, we struggle to do what's right, Lord, because of the enemy that we have of our souls. And I pray you'd bless those who lifted their hands. And in this invitation tonight, Lord, I know it's your invitation, not mine. I pray that you would speak to hearts. Give them courage to come to an old-fashioned altar. Just kneel down and talk to you about their concerns. And I know that if they do, you'll give them revival in their hearts tonight. That will begin revival in the church. Lord, won't you touch hearts tonight while we sing here in a moment. We ask it in the name of Jesus, our Lord, who gave us this parable and this message. In His precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.